Oscar Poker. Didn't know what time it was, the lights were low, oh, oh, I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, some cat was laying down some rock and roll, that a soul he said, then the loud sound it seemed to fight, came back like a slow voice on a wave of starting and listen um you're a you know you know the big oscar girl and you, you really are on this thing uh, in a very devoted uh, dedicated way and we feel newly energized knowing that, <laughs> that scott feinberg is kicking our butts with all his uh, traffic from these celebrity interviews <laughs> and, uh, but I'm telling you, uh, you know, I, I've done Palm Springs, which is right happening as we speak. The first weekend is the, is the place, is the time to attend. And I have attended <clears throat> in years past. But honestly, I didn't even think of going out there because it's such a slog getting out there. It's such a mm. soulless, uh, uh, you know, kind of paparazzi oh. pig fuck once you're out there. Yeah. There is nothing special. And yet, if you're, if you're really on the trail, all the Feinbergs, all the... You know, all the vultures, everybody's out there doing just well, the same thing you're going to see it, right? Don't well, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Scott was going this year. He usually goes, but he told me he wasn't going this year. He's in, he's in New York doing something else. He's going to the New York Film Critics. But yeah, he usually goes, and um, Janelle Riley. A lot of the people that usually go didn't go this year, weirdly enough. So, um, and I'm not sure why, but all the big stars certainly went. Johnny Depp's there, and, you know, um, Kate Blanchett's there, Rooney Mara's there, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a slacker thing at all. It's They've got the A-listers. I just... They do. Yeah. It always makes me sad. Award season makes me sad that way. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't... Uh, yeah, I, I guess there are Oscar voters out in Palm Springs. I guess that's why they do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we have to just turn right around and do it at Santa Barbara later. It's the same kind of thing. Well, that's an enjoyable uh, place. And it's not do. as, you know, Palm Springs is much, it's kind of like more, oh God, this is so, it's, it's like the Hollywood Film Awards in a way. Like it's much more spread out. The yeah. Santa Barbara is very specific with who they honor. They don't just kind of honor everybody, you know. Um, yeah, yep. And, and they're trying to attract stars to Palm Springs, and they're doing it. They're definitely doing it. I just don't know what benefit it is for me to go out there. Because, you know, I don't feel like these people need more publicity. I think they've gotten enough publicity. So I don't think it's necessary for them to go either. But they do, because everybody's afraid to be that one person that doesn't do enough, you know? That's exactly... If I were a publicist like Lisa Tabak, I would absolutely encourage, insist that my clients go yeah and I, I wouldn't miss it but honestly um it's really not a lot of fun and it, it doesn't have a lot of distinction it feels corporate it feels uh it doesn't feel like you're in kind of some kind of special event you feel you're in a big event that uh, with all the ugly paparazzi out there yelling at everybody and all the, and the and the big award ceremony which is very well catered very handsome but just feel, it feels soulless, you know. It's everybody just going through the paces, and you're just sitting there at the table with Chris Tapley to your right, just kind of, you know, <laughs> resigning yourself to the whole charade of it. You know, it's really not a lot of fun. I never have gone. I never have gone for that reason, and I've never been invited either. So it's not even like I'm I'm being. Well, I was never invited. You just get your press once you're on the list. They know you're coming, and then they let you. They tell you to come to this and come to that. You know. Oh, okay, right. So, first. but you have to buy your own housing and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, cheap. and that's expensive out there. So I, I don't feel like I can afford to just go to um, yeah. Palm Springs if it's not something that is like Telluride. You got to go to Telluride. You know, you have gotta to go, go to, to that. Telluride. That's important. But um, and Cannes is, Can. is important too. But mm. this kind of thing is sort of like well. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. See what good it's gonna do. 
anybody, oh. them or me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so can we discuss um, what uh, is a con- obviously a contentious issue between you and I? Which is well, wait, wait, wait. We can't do that yet because we had a big awards announcement today. We have to talk about that. That just oh, absolutely. Happened. Let's talk yeah. about the National Society of Film Critics. Okay, so. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. So they awarded Todd Haynes, director, uh, but then Spotlight Best Picture. Um, and I wasn't, nobody that I know was expecting Spotlight to win this because usually the film that wins the National Society is kind of the fringe movie that doesn't win Best Picture, like um, Inside Lewin Davis, for instance, or, you know, whatever the movie is, it's not the one that wins Best Picture usually. But um, I, think, I think Spotlight's sort of a unique film I don't think that you can really compare it with the past and the reason is that it hasn't won all the critics awards it's not a critics darling Mad Max is the one that's been winning all the critics uh, you know Spotlight's been winning a couple it won Los Angeles but it's not by by any means an overwhelming consensus for Spotlight you know so I don't think that it can be what, what I do think with Spotlight is I think it's the film that in a contentious year with a lot of choices, it's the one that most people can agree on. And that's why it keeps winning. Which is what tends to win, right? Um, yes, yes, absolutely yes. But mm. I, I would, I, I just still think that there's a really good chance that another film will win. Um, like The Martian? <laughs> no, not The Martian. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's going to win. I wish. Right. It would be really make me really happy if it won, but it won't. Mm. Um, mm. I'm thinking more like The Big Short it might be those big surprises this year. Mm-hmm. Based upon what exactly? What do you? What tells Based you? Based upon the well, okay. I, I look at things very. Um, for instance, we were all except for you because you loved Birdman, and and it can't really be counted as a prediction because it was it was you were going to predict Birdman no matter what because you love the movie. So That's much. right. That's right. So I'm not a predictor, really. You can't look at Birdman and find any precedent for that, and you can't. It's like the it was the weirdest Oscar year last year. The, mm-hmm. the choice for best picture was weird. I, you know, a lot, nobody, because I'm one of the people that writes about it, but no one is really talking about um, the changes in the Academy recently with new voters, younger voters, more ethnic voters, and how that's going to affect best picture from now on. Um, because Birdman isn't your typical, like, you know, lost man makes good. It's not, you know, good people doing good things. It's not a movie about a hero particularly. You can make the argument that it's about anger at the way Hollywood is going. Um, and mm-hmm. you can also make the argument that they were really annoyed that all the critics were saying you have to vote for boyhood and they didn't want to. So those two things could be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that, uh, that that's something to look at. And that's why I'm looking at the big short and I'm going, hmm. I'm not getting co- the connection between Birdman winning by default, you seem to be saying. Well, you've got to look and, at boyhood and boyhood... I don't think Spotlight's like Boyhood because Spotlight has a like a plot, a definitive plot of good guys, bad guys, of triumph, of struggle, of conflict. It's got all those elements which Boyhood didn't really have. Right. Um, and but Big Short is a lot like Birdman. It's got that visionary, breathtaking kind of um, feel about it that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are talking about it, and it's catching that like eleventh hour wind that sometimes comes up when like a movie like crash or whatever starts to take over and starts to win. So that's what I'm sensing. But the only thing that prevents me from picking it is my own adherence to history and stats, which says that no film released after like October can win best picture because it hasn't happened since 2004. Yeah. So this would be the year that that changed. I'm not sure if that's going to be right. It also for me, and I'm, I'm, um, It kicked up significantly in my personal estimation, but it required two viewings for exactly. me to say that because I found it um, <clears throat> too hard to really understand, at least in terms of the the why, the wherefore, the rationale, the mentality of shorting out stocks, betting against their success. Right. It's not in my daily conversation, but once I had <clears throat> read the book seen it a second time, thought about it, it, I started to say, wow, this is really, uh, this really has improved in my, but anything that takes two viewings to understand or or to fully get behind tends to be a sign, you know, that it's probably not going to be a a big 
popular favorite. Absolutely. That's so true. And that's the problem with The Big Short. I didn't even think it was a very good movie the first time I saw it. Now that I've watched it over and over again and I've read the book and I understand it, it, it is one of my favorite. It's my number two favorite film of the year. I love The Big Short. I can't... Lo- I. I I can't get enough of it. I watch it over and over. I notice something new every time. Some little joke that I missed the first time. Some, you know, interesting yeah. little thread or fact or funny thing that Ryan Gosling does that I didn't notice. Like, it's so dense. It's my kind of movie, you know. Sure. I don't like those movies that you can get all in once. Did you happen to get, by the way, the swag from the big short? Uh, that little uh, model of blocks? That, yeah. That, did you get that? Yeah, yeah. The Jenga. It's Jenga, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I did. I, and I love that. That's pretty that. cool. I know. And I still, there's still things about the, the story that I don't understand, that I'm still trying to understand. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because it is such a weird world and such right. a strange story and these these funny characters, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it's just great. And I keep hearing people talking about it, like falling in love with it. And, and, and one guy, Bruce Feldman, wrote on Twitter yesterday that he went back and saw it a second time. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that we can just say that this one's going to be the one that people write off because they might go most, most likely 90% chance that they're going to go spotlights, the best picture of the year. I'm voting for that. No Mm -hmm. question about it. Mm -hmm. There's a tiny percent that says, I, what's all this talk about the big short? I got to watch that again because I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a very good movie. So I sit down and watch it again. And, oh, wow, it is a really good movie, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. But I, I still wouldn't bet money on it. I would still bet money on Spotlight winning. No, I, I just wrote uh, in my little riff about the NSFC that the Michael Jordan thing is just way out of left field. I mean, I don't know of anybody. He, everybody likes it really enjoyed Creed, <clears throat> but Michael B. Jordan for best actor in that, he's um, does a really good job. I, I don't have any argument at all against it, but to single him out as the best actor of the year, best performance of the year, I don't understand what they're doing, except that there's they seem to be saying, listen, we're not going to go along with this Leonardo DiCaprio thing, so we're going to go to somebody else. And they, in that kind of d- determination... They right. figured, who are we going to give it to then? Uh, how about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan? We liked him in that. He was good. He slugged, he slugged, and he really did that great. You know, he gave his heart to it. So let's give it to him. I don't think there's a lot of thought in this thing. I just don't understand why this discerning group that, you know, they're not uh, the National Board of Review or something. They're pretty serious. And they gave it to Michael B. Jordan. I mean, I, I just don't get it. What do you think's going on here? Um, well, first of all, I think that Creed is picking up a lot of steam from people you know talking about how it's a really good movie and how it is deserving of attention so I, I think that there's support um just generally for the movie and and people are saying well why is Sylvester Stallone the one winning all these Oscars he's the only white guy he's the white guy why isn't the black guy mm-hmm. winning so yeah. maybe that's a sort of a way to say you know Michael B. Jordan is the one that should be getting your acclaim not Sylvester Stallone which is typical <laughs> critics but mm-hmm. the thing about them is that they are so white you know, their, their choices are always so, so white. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think they got a lot of shit for that the last time that they went. I, I, you know, I have to look at their history, but as I recall, um, they're not exactly known for their diversity and their choices. Because well, you know, film critics are, by and large, uh, males in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. That's the way it breaks down these days. Well, that, and they don't vote for that reason ever. Like, they don't want to go, you know, they, they actually chafe at this idea of, of voting for somebody or some film just because it was directed by somebody who was black. Um, don't you think that's a pretty mundane, uh, pretty lame way of deciding things, to go by consensus based on racial groupings and that kind of thing? That's, that's about cri- as lame as it gets, right? Well, that's what the critics think. Um, I don't really agree because I don't think that there's anything particularly honorable about the way we choose awards. It's all subjective. A lot of it has to do with star power, popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. very, very little of it is actual objective. That is a good, pro- that is the best performance of the year. You know, it's not about that and you know it, you know. Yeah, but do you know anybody? Here's my point. You've had a lot of conversations, with a lot of people. You've read a lot of chat rooms. You're on. You're doing this every day of your life. If you heard one person say, listen, we have to step back here, be honest with ourselves, and recognize the greatness of Michael Jordan's performance. Nobody in the world has said that. Oh, no, I've, I've read it quite a few places, yeah. I haven't read that at all. 
I mean, in Twitter, you know, mostly people saying it that way. And yeah, a lot of people, what I get about Creed, and I love that people are doing this, is that there's a lot of advocacy for it. Mm-hmm. And it's necessary because it needs it. You know, it's not getting a lot of um, publicity support, and it's certainly not winning award after award. It got a few awards, but it's mainly right. for Sylvester Stallone, you know. So I do think that there's there's this conscious effort to be not like a 100% uniform wall of white, which is what you tend to see in all the awards, except the SAG, because they're the most diverse voting bodies, um, voting body. They have the most diverse membership, but film critics and the Oscars, you know, they tend to be like white and that's that. So I do think that they are making an effort, but there are only certain, certain, um, areas they can go in, right? They can't, uh, the politically correct narrative, Sasha, is that if you're a white person, a professional, uh, say 40 plus, there's something a little insular, uh, something a little negligent, maybe something even a little perverse about your sensibility because you don't get the thing of the 21st century uh, current. You don't get the, uh, the, the PC thing as, as much as you should. You have to like sort of push back against whiteness in general. And that's a form of racism, whether anybody wants to admit to it or not. You can't let yourself determine your choices based upon a positive or a negative racial consciousness. You have to go for what you feel really works in terms of achievement, in terms of finding the art, the diamond-like essence of a great performance. Once you let consensus politics get into that determination, then you become a mediocre body, a mediocre voter, I think. Well, I, I agree partly and I partly don't because I, I am a supporter of affirmative action. I do think it comes down to opportunities and not necessarily, you know, if you're Christian Bale, you have, a cho- or, you know, Meryl Streep, you have a choice of any part you want to play. If you're Viola Davis, you don't have a choice of any part you want to play. You have to pick whatever Hollywood decides to give you. And so it's unfair from the start. It's not equal. So you can't judge it equally, I don't think. And also... Michael B. Jordan trained for a whole year to to learn how to box for that, and he he, he, really he did a superb job. Of I'm that, just saying of he that. put in the work. He yeah. did. If if a white actor had trained for a year, that's all you would have heard about, and nobody would have ever said anything because they know that he put in the work um, to learn how to box, and he 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 devoted himself the way any method actor would to learning how to be that good of a boxer. So I do. You think know of anybody who was getting really that excited about Will Smith when he played Muhammad Ali? Yeah, kinda. Yeah, I mean, he I, got yeah, there was respect, a lot of respect, yeah. but I don't remember people saying, "Come on, he was wonderful. We really got to. He's got to be in the conversation for best actor." I never heard that. Oh, well, he did get in. I mean, he was nominated. So well, it's just the you know kowtowing to wealth and power, and because he's you know. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. Put it this way: I, I don't have any problem with Michael B. Jordan winning best actor. I don't know who you know other than Leo and um, Steve Carell. Um, Abraham Atta was great in Beasts of No Nation. My God, what a performance. There was so, a young kid doing a monkey see, monkey do. I disagree with that. I think that's a closed-minded way of looking at it. It's a hard job. When, when you're a young do. kid, you do what you're told. He's and you not have to that young. But he's you have a basic ability to generate emotion. That's why he was chosen, because he's a good actor. I mean, to carry Fuganaga's sense, he wouldn't have chosen him. And he can do this kind of thing. But he's but he not was a kid. told how to do it. He's a kid. He wasn't. What? He was like 12. He was like an adolescent. He's not like mm. five or six or whatever. Okay. He was an adolescent. So by then he, he is developing. I mean, you know, you have to say like what, basically put it this way. An elephant paints a beautiful painting, puts it in a mm-hmm. gallery, tells a bunch of snobby idiots that it's not painted by an elephant, that it's painted by a world-renowned artist. They're all going to buy it and they're all going to say it's a great painting, right? Mm-hmm. Tell them it's about an, you know, it was painted by an elephant. They're going to go, oh, well, it wasn't that good. But it's mm-hmm. like, how do you know what's good? You know, how do you defend that? That's all subjective. What you think is a good performance and what isn't. I know I'm a trained actor. I studied theater for many years as a young person. I can tell you, it doesn't always come down to, you know, training and skill. You can be the most trained, highly trained actor. You can have gone to study with Lee Strasberg and you'd still be a terrible actor, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not really film acting isn't necessarily about that skill. It is about look at Jennifer Lawrence. She's completely untrained. What, that's you know, true. Yeah, she's very good. You're saying she's what good she, when she's just playing herself or whatever in Silver Linings, you're saying that's a great performance. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a great performance. I admit that she's a great screen presence. But I don't think it's a great performance. So, 
I mean, she did because she wasn't. She was supporting a male. This is your no. I'm just this saying is your she's women not a trained attitude. actor. It always permeates all your opinions. If you're if you're gonna say that that Abraham Atta is not great in *Beasts of No Nation*, I'm gonna say that Jennifer Lawrence it's not a great performance. I'm saying that in both cases, you have a screen presence that is worthy yeah. of attention and awards. Mm. Period. I think. But anyway, so that's how the nationals. That the problem with the national society is that. Um, you know, it's a pretty rare thing to win both the National Society and the... The last time it happened was Hurt Locker, right. which, like, won every Critics Award. Um, yeah. So it's not it's not a slam dunk for Spotlight, I'll tell mm. you that. Mm. It's a race, that's for sure. It's funny, you know, right now, <clears throat> if I could just uh, divert just for a second. Uh, right now, if you wanted to see Spotlight, I mean, everybody who votes and matters has a screener by now but if you wanted to see it in a theatrical setting you have to go to westwood one theater the regents i, I believe it's called um it's not playing anywhere because it's been pushed out you know by all the december films and it's only <clears throat> this is a movie that has gotten uh, if you need any kind of strong consensus about what film should we go, go see that's kind of for over 30s people you know something well made not going to feel we got burned. We know it's good because of what everybody's been saying. And yet this movie, which has it all and is really, uh, you know, very likely to be on the best picture list. And who knows, maybe when, maybe not. But it's only made Birdman level money so far. It's made about 27. I don't know if it's going to go higher if it wins or not. But it's surprising to me that it's only at 27. It's like the people that like quality uh, uh, films that have been made by good people that have been well reviewed. That that crowd is mostly watching cable, I guess, and occasionally going to a film. But the the big crowd obviously is not paid the slightest bit of attention to it, or would have made more than twenty seven. Yeah, I mean, I I can sort of understand their tra- their hesitation now because of what happened to Steve Jobs. Like that's going to make everybody afraid to take their movie wider. Because it got killed. It was a movie that was doing really well in award season and would have done just fine if it had stayed in limited release. But as soon as they expanded it, now it looks like a failure. Suddenly no one wants to touch it. And it mm-hmm. can't, it cannot get arrested. It's not mm-hmm. going to make a dime. It's not going to get any, you know. So everybody's afraid of that. And But I think Spotlight is the kind of film that really could play across all audiences and and has got so much word of mouth right now they're going to keep it going it's probably going to get about 50 60 maybe through the oscars you know i mean Um, once it gets nominated it'll resurge and they'll book it back in again do you think well it's a hard sell because it's not you know you say spotlight it's won all these oscars and you make a big deal about it and people go see it then it's kind of like uh wasn't that good but if they hear it for, oh, you want a really great movie, Spotlight. Yeah, let's go see. Oh, wow, that was a really great, like, the, the mm-hmm. perception is totally different if you're walking in as a word-of-mouth movie than if you're walking in as a highly publicized, award-winning movie. Like, they're just two different things. But I do think that Spotlight is a general audience movie. I don't think it's just for snobby critics and, and elite Westsiders. I do think that more people could see it and should see it. And yeah. same with The Big Short. You know, I wish that the Oscar race could be about more you know, about more people seeing these movies rather than just this tiny little group that, you know, feeds itself. Mm-hmm. That's annoying to me. But Yeah. Well, I'm surprised. And, and, and I can't imagine. I, I, I happened to see it once with a paying group. And I, you could just feel it from the crowd. Nobody was jumping up and down, but they were nodding. Yeah, that was good. But nobody was excited because of the theater, the theatrical experience these days. They want to be knocked out cold. They want to be stumbling out of the theater. They want to be you know, levitated. They want vibrations in their seats. They want something, that big thing that they're paying the 15 bu- or 16 yeah. bucks to see. And this is, Spotlight as good as it is, and you and I can appreciate it for what it is. It's essentially um, you know, character-driven, dialogue-driven, mid-sized drama that people have become accustomed to thinking is the province of first-rate uh, you know, cable series, uh, you know, long form, that kind of thing. The, the difference, of course, is not long form, and it and it nails it within the space of two hours, which is the, which is the respectable thing about all good films like this. They, they don't need ten hours to do it; they do it in two. Right. You know, it's you know. a, such a good movie. I mean, it is such a class act. Spotlight. It's so it's so specifically done, and his choices are so good. And um, 
it, you can tell it's not a movie that was made to win Oscars. You know what I mean? That's what I love about it. It's just a good movie because if it was made to win Oscars, it, he would never have made it so kind of neutral with color and yeah. made the emotions so tamped down as he does. Like Michael mm. Keaton said in a recent interview that it's his coldest performance, you know, his coldest portrayal of a character. And they all have to hold it back, you know. But, um, and you don't, you know, that's not, if you want to win Oscars, you know you make a movie with lots of explosive emotion, like <laughs> Birdman, where everybody's shouting at each other. <laughs> but, um, hey, do you remember, by the way, Sasha, when you and I went up to Santa Barbara in, was it mid October, I believe, mid October, and we did, went to this thing for Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. as you recall? What has happened to the whole Jane Fonda thing? It just seemed to have collapsed. I don't. I don't feel anything. Nobody seems to be voting her. Not the critics, anyway. Mm. I don't think she got. Did she get nominated by the um, Critics' Choice? By the Globe, she did. She by did. the Globe, she did. Okay, yeah. that's good. But um, remember, I just the don't Globe... feel there's a lot of momentum on her side. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I thought she was wonderful in that film. What do you think about what happened with her? Or has been I, I don't know. I, the the whole youth thing has perplexed me because I thought coming out of Cannes that it was a really good movie and that it was going to do really well with Oscar voters. So did Ann Thompson and a few other people. But mm. it's completely flatlined. Like it just didn't ever get any even for Michael Caine there's everybody at one point thought Michael Caine was actually going to win an Oscar for his performance it just maybe it plays too much to the older Oscar voter demographic and that doesn't feel sexy to people and they don't want to you know support Mm. that um maybe they feel like Jane Fonda's part is good but it's just too small to take the place of someone else you know um Mm. there's also the matter of the critics, see, you have to, to do, one of the things I love about The Big Short is it is about anticipating what people are going to do and predicting an unpredictable situation, which is what Mike Burry did when he predicted that the housing market was going to take a fall and nobody else um, really believed that it would because it was so, everybody thought, it's like the, a sure thing. So yeah. youth looks like a sure thing, but then you have to factor in other things like the critics kind of resentment towards awards bloggers saying what movies are good. So they don't really like what awards bloggers think are necessarily good. Although that isn't hurting spotlight like it did 12 years a slave. It it certainly isn't hurting spotlight that, that the uh, pundit said it was a good movie out of the, out of Telluride. But, um, but a lot of times that kind of that, that, that's sort of what hurts hurting Leo on the Revenant actually is this idea of like, it's Oscar bait, you know, and we don't want to, award oscar bait so we're just gonna pick um you know or we're gonna pick charlotte rampling or it's like anybody but what people are saying is gonna get nominated <laughs> well, i'm sure glad they gave it to charlotte rampling I, I love it that she got uh, one significant award at least i don't know if it's a i think she was omitted by the globes was that it she was admitted by the globes or no. sag sag admitted, i ignored her both both uh, both actually. of them yeah. okay the thing is 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 best actress and best supporting actress are both messed up right now because um, they're, they're, we don't know what's going to happen with Rudy Mara and, and um, Alicia Vikander. So it's like if you take yeah. both of them out of supporting, suddenly it opens up and Kristen Stewart has a chance. Jane Fonda has a chance. But as soon as you put them back in that category, forget it. They're out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with Best Actress. If you take Rooney Mara and, and Alicia Vikander out of Actress, then you've got maybe some wiggle room with taking over Jennifer Lawrence's performance by Charlotte Rampling which is possible, but, um, but the, the supporting thing is tricky, like predicting how, where those contenders are going to get nominated and predicting where the spotlight guys are going to get in. That's mm-hmm. all really making the supporting categories almost impossible to predict. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, um, so what do you think about, uh, what do you base your belief, your suspicion that this is a Ridley Scott year as far as his long sought after best directing oscar okay i uh, don't i i don't know where you got that but i you don't believe that no okay. i never have been predicting him i the martian's my number one favorite movie of the year it's the only movie that has actually given me hope to live in this okay. hideous world i love the martian and okay. i'm about to put up my essay about why i love it and i took still you know i've captured screen captured scenes that i love and i think it's a great movie i don't think I don't buy the cool... I, believe me, I wish. I'd get down on my hands and knees and put my hands together and wish that Ridley Scott would win and that The Martian would win, but I don't see it happening. I I don't think he's even in the running for Best Director. I think it's like 
George Miller. I, first of all, I don't think it's going to split. I think it's either going to be Spotlight and Tom McCarthy or The Big Short and Adam McKay. I don't okay. see it splitting. It's possible. But the problem with the split is that it's split up all over the place right now. When Alfonso Cuaron was coming in as Best Director and 12 Years a Slave was Best Picture, there was only one director people were talking about. One. And that was Alfonso Cuaron. Now mm. it's like there's George Miller. There's Todd Haynes. There's Tom McCarthy, you know. And there's Ridley Scott if you want to count him. But that's split up. There's no consensus around any one director. That means in that kind of a situation, it's probably going to go, unless you're looking at a year like 2000 where Ang Lee, Steven Soderbergh, and Ridley Scott were all in the race, mm. um, and it, or, or the Roman Polanski Chicago year, you know, where it's a complete surprise who wins mm. Best Director. You know, nobody knew Roman Polanski was going to win Best Director for The Pianist. Nobody. It was complete yeah. shock. So unless mm. we're looking at something that's unpredictable like that, you're looking at a not split year. You're looking at Spotlight and Tom McCarthy or The Big Short and Adam McKay or even Mad Max and George Miller. But I think number four would be Martian and Ridley Scott, my, my favorites. But believe me, I don't know what Scott Feinberg is thinking. I don't. Okay. That's so all. you don't think that even on the basis, I thought it was, it was reasonable to think that perhaps with sentiments and, and, and passions spread out pretty evenly and that perhaps the gold watch factor would help him at least get nominated. It doesn't uh, because, because he's up against Rid, uh, George Miller. So the thing is, is, is at the beginning of the race, I thought maybe it would be Ridley's year, but as soon as Mad Max and George Miller started winning everything, that mm -hmm. pretty much took Ridley and, and the Martian out of the running for wins. It just did. I'm, all I'm hoping for now is a nomination. You know, like Do you I, mean because George Miller is also a veteran? He's also in his seventies. Um, he also made a a big uh, a movie that's kind of you know visually an action generated that kind of thing. Is that yeah, what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. He's he's um he's got the more showy directing, and Ridley Scott's movie isn't showy. It's brilliant and wonderful and sweet and optimistic and hopeful, but it's not showy. So mm -hmm. showy directors tend to win if you're looking at a split. Ang Lee for Life of Pi or Alfonso Cuaron for... Um, mm -hmm. And you're looking at a movie that takes director and takes a whole bunch of tech awards with it. And that, to me, looks like Mad Max. Right. But I don't know. I, th I still think that there's a really good chance that Tom McCarthy's just going to win if Spotlight wins. That would, okay. That's still my number one prediction at the moment. <clears throat> when you think of... just Can we have a few words for the great Vilmo Sigmund oh. who has passed? Okay. When you think of his work, what stands out of anything that he shot? What is it that pops for you? Is it Close Encounters? It would be Close Encounters because that's the era I grew up in. So those images in that film, I, I, you know, I could never forget. They're beautiful, though, especially the all the stuff with the spaceship, mainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, when I think of him, I think of two films... Um, that were very made, made big, three actually. Um, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, that wonderful, oh, yeah. uh, you know, low lit, kind of very sort of darkish, um, <clears throat> lit by, you know, candles and, and, and fireplaces, and, you know, it's a lot of snow uh, falling at, at all times. Really quite beautiful. Oh, yeah. But I was um, very struck also by his work on The Long Goodbye, and particularly. I had a chance to ask him a question at the Newport Film Festival about 11, 12, 13 years ago. Mm. And I happened to be down there, and he was just part of this panel. And I was saying to him that I really loved the way the camera in The Long Goodbye, Long Goodbye is continually moving in a kind of a slow arc. It's always mm. sort of gently gliding along from right to left or left to right. It's never sitting there it's always on a, on, a, on on track you know it's always moving very and i said i took that as a kind of a metaphor for the way los angeles culture is very mobile people are always going somewhere a lot of people don't necessarily stay here for very long or moving to the next place it's a everybody's shifting around you know there's no big tradition big roots you know there's it's a very fluid motion culture in a way mm -hmm. and he says you know that was that's a very intelligent reading of what that style that we shot it in but i'll tell you right off the top robert altman didn't say one word about any of that he just said <laughs> let's keep it moving 
Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an example of your film critic going off on his or her high horse and it has no bearing upon what anybody actually articulated when they're no, shooting. No, but, but that's, how, that's where, to me, film criticism has value is when it can do that kind of thing because then it becomes an art unto itself, you know? Yeah. That yeah, sort of interpretation so. is so... It's really nice to hear it mm. um, that way. Anyway, it's a lovely thing. He also did Deliverance, which was... Wonderful. <laughs> now, this is your time to tell me how I, how bad I sound, but I'll tell you, I sound a lot better this weekend than I did last weekend. I think you must have got the flu, you know, that's because that's, they're passing out flu shots right now, so I think you had to have that's gotten That's good. That. That's good. I did have something, and I was, I was perilously close to pneumonia at one point, but I am... Um, it's like joy. I joy. Joy I felt was was good, but in a spotty way. It was good that it would be less good, that it would come back. So it wasn't. Uh, I think that a, any fair-minded definition of a film that really could be called good or effective or successful is that it doesn't do it in a spotty way. It does it in a fairly consistent way, and it it knows itself and knows how to organize and deliver the the music. And you know, it's like a like a piece of orchestral symphony. Either either it's together and it knows what it's doing, and it hits the the right notes at the right time and delivers a good climax. That's a good piece of music. If it's spotty and it kind of puts you off sometimes, or it leaves you cold, or it leaves you wanting, then it's probably not that good a piece of music. So I think it's fair to apply that standard to a to a film also. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it myself because I could relate to it, you know, and I understand that a lot of people don't. I mean, it's not like it's all women related to it either. Like Melissa Silverstein didn't like it. So it's not like all women would like it. It's, you know, but I enjoyed it because despite my criticisms of Jennifer Lawrence, I actually like watching her on camera. I like watching her do anything, you know. So to me, it was, it was, you know, an, an enjoyable experience watching a whole movie with just her in it. Like I liked that about it. And, um, yeah, awards, you know, it got hurt by that early break that said that it was going to win Best Picture. People's expectations were way too high. The pressure was too intense. And I feel like David O. Russell kind of lost his mojo a little bit trying to fit that narrative, you know. Yeah. Um, This this coming week, by the way, we should just note that um, the Producers Guild uh, nominations, which are fairly significant in this March uh, will be it was a Tuesday, I believe, right? And then, um, and then the WGA's uh, nominations will be announced, I believe. Is it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. And then, um, I had them all written down here. Let me see if I can find them for you. Um, I, I had written them down. Well, I copied it from one of those or some official things, so I think I'm right here. Okay. Tuesday for BGA. Uh, uh, WGA. Wednesday, um, the I know the uh, Directors Guild is on the twelfth, so it's late. The Directors Guild is coming late, and mm-hmm. Oscar ballots. See, for me, nothing matters really until after after uh, January eighth, because once those Oscar ballots are in, there's no more influencing the Oscar voters. So, sure, right. um, the DGA mm-hmm. ballots are coming out way after Oscar ballots are turned in. So it's right. sort of like they're two separate things now. You mm-hmm. can't even think of them as the same, but. But I expect DGA to be, my prediction for that would be um, Tom McCarthy, Adam McKay, uh, mm-hmm. George Miller, Ridley Scott, and either Todd Haynes or... My guess would be Todd Haynes. And then who's the other one we're missing? Steven Spielberg, but I don't think he's going to um, get in. He might. He's popular with them. He's popular with them, but it's a—it's just a good enough film. It's not a great film. It's not a strong. A lot of people like it, though. Film. You know that Manola Dargis put it down in her top Best Picture, Best Director for her Oscar ballot. You know, it's not like it's people don't like the movie. It is very well liked. But I know it's what you're really saying. Really perplexing that people would be that enthusiastic about it. Isn't there a way to be? you know, moderately respectful of something and just let it go with that? Why does that have to be jumped up and down and celebrated as an award I just see the thing is, is I don't know how you can watch Bridges. The only reason that I'm not considering him is because of other people that are, you know, doing, you know, like like, uh, George Miller, you know, who was out Spielberging him with his direction. But 
But um, but Spielberg, that movie, I don't know how you can watch it and not go, wow, like every shot is magnificent in that film. It's just incredible to look at, for one thing. And the acting is good, the story is good. Spielberg's just a pro. You know, he makes great movies. What can you do? That's just a fact of the matter. But he's so awarded already that I don't know if he gets in. I think Bridge of Spies gets in for Best Picture. I think there's more of a chance that he'll get nominated for Best Director, but I don't feel the buzz around the movie. So I kind of agree with you. I don't feel mm. that kind of awards buzz at all. By the way, um, I, I have seen, I would like to just introduce this thing, which is going to start to kick in about two weeks hence, two, three weeks hence, which is that their whole OJ thing is going to come back with a vengeance uh, in the middle of this month and towards the end of this month, early February, when the FX Network's... Um, series begins, the one directed by Ryan Murphy and co-written and exec produced by my friends Larry Karaziski and Scott Alexander. And um, were you following that big... And there's also a seven, count them, seven-hour documentary that they're going to show in its entirety at Sundance, which I'm absolutely not going to see there because that's way too much of a big chunk of time for Sundance where you have to, you know, cram in you know, three, four films at least per day if you can. But it, it just tells you that something's about to happen with this whole thing. And the 25-year anniversary, if you will, did you pay much attention to that when it was happening? I did you care? I was 100% fully immersed in it. I was right. a watch every second of the trial, mm -hmm. read every piece of information, and know everything about the case, the whole thing. I dove into it like hardcore rabbit hole, like that... I did the same thing with Serial, the, the latest podcast. And, and um, you know, there's just a part of me that has that. I need to know everything about this and figure it out. And that's what I did with The Big Short. And that's what I did with OJ mm. Trial. Like, I mean, there's just no question that he that he was, um, wasn't was guilty. I mean, the guy did it. It was obvious. But um, it, was, it was one of the most, I mean, the only thing that the prosecution, that any fair-minded person didn't have was... Um, you know, videotape from some security camera outside Nicole's place, which there theoretically could have been. That's the only thing that that case lacked, you know, visual proof that it was that it was him. But it was just amazing that there are still people in talking about the series, talking about the, you know, looking back, who still say, "Well, I'm not, you know, mm. the, the evidence, the evidence, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm not sure." You, you, you know. could not have paid attention to that case and not come away with two things: one, mm. yes, the cops pl probably planted the bloody glove, but two, he was, and they probably only did it to make sure he got convicted, but he was absolutely guilty. Um, you believe that Mark Furman picked up the, one of the bloody gloves at Nicole's yeah, place I and do. took it over there and planted it? I actually you really think, think that? Yeah, I do. I think the glove was planted. I, there's really no other explanation for it. But, um, but yeah, I think it was planted. But I think the cops do that kind of thing all the time. It doesn't mean he's innocent. It just means that they wanted to make sure he didn't get off. The thing about that case that you finally come away with if you study it enough is that and it's not because they're black, by the way. It's because he's a celebrity, and the jury did not want to convict him. They didn't, and so they were looking for a reason. All they needed, anyway, right. All they needed was the defense to give them anything that would allow them to say not guilty. They didn't, and it was such a long trial, and the specifics were so intense. It would be really hard for any jury to sit there and focus on all of that. So I'm not saying, oh yeah, they let him off because they're a black jury and they were never going to convict. I mean, yes, at the time. There was a lot of that kind of weird sentiment going on that after the Rodney King thing, you know, that that, that was there. Yeah. Um, I remember coming into a liquor store after um, OJ was was uh, exonerated, and and the looks that I got from people was kind of like, you know, yeah, fuck you, you know, we we won this one. So there was definitely. You mean you went into a liquor store owned by a black guy? What do you? No, saying? I just happened to see some people looking at me as a white person. Saying like you know yeah we you know what are you gonna do about it we won this one <laughs> sort of I mean well, that, that yeah was the... they did win that one they just it was basically they had the people that felt it was um, that OJ was a good fellow to uh, focus upon as a symbol of, of black guys getting the short end of the stick getting railroaded right, getting treated right, harshly exactly. by, by that's that but there is is there ever been a whiter guy in the history of a black celebrityhood than O.J. Simpson, a guy who, you know, toughed it out and made it on his own. But he, did he ever really invest or, or have uh, develop or nurture a, 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 a black celebrity um, 
reputation. This is a guy who completely breadwoodized in his life. Right, sure. But but the, the thing was, was he was a black hero. He was a black icon, and they didn't want to see one of their heroes taken down. I can totally understand that. Right. I mean, I can, I'm can. i not saying I don't see their point of view. I think celebrities are really likable, and it would be hard to convict one, no matter who it was, if you really liked them. I mean, God... Anybody would like it, white celebrities get off all the time just because they're celebrities. It's just hard for juries to see them as bad people, you know. And the they thing like was them. is that we all. This is not a novel point, but I'd never felt so appalled, and really, like my face contorting. I was I was sickened when I saw all those video shots of <clears throat> um, predominantly black crowds in you know, restaurants or whatever, they, they, they were showing the contrast to the response to the verdict of not guilty. And there was genuine exuberance. I mean, this is a very heartfelt, you know, fist in the air, you know, delight. People jumping up and down, hugging each other. They were delighted when he was uh, found not guilty. I know. It was. It was, a, it was payback for Rodney King and those cops getting off. It was that it's, kind of jubilance that they felt like, you know. That, that's what it was. I mean, we, they, did, they didn't get, but there was not even a possibility. I mean, I can understand people being torn <clears throat> about evidence and saying, well, you know, it's kind of either or, I'm not sure. But because of the Rodney Key thing, because of the way black guys are treated, have been treated routinely by LAPD, fuck them. Let's give them a, a, a pass and find them not guilty. But there's no way to even begin to, 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 to say it's conflicting evidence. And that, that, it's just, there's no way with all the blood evidence and everything. It's just no way, you know? It was yeah. just complete uh, denial of reality and a commitment to... But you know what? Evidence, uh, you know? In the end, and, you know, I agree. I was totally into the case. I thought he was guilty. He should have gone, gotten convicted. But think of all the history of all the all-white juries that just convicted black people Absolutely. on no, no evidence and just yeah. said, you know what, we're not going to convict we're not going to convict a white guy mm -hmm. um, or putting away black men for for crimes they didn't commit. I just I mean the the tip, the scales are tipped so heavily yeah. <laughs> against It's interesting you're you're focusing a lot on Rodney King. That's exactly how Ryan Murphy's series which, <coughs> which again, I'm sorry. <clears throat> coughing but I saw six episodes. That's exactly how it starts. It starts out with riot, Rodney King and the riots, and yeah. then it goes into the story. It's, it, it makes, it's clearly a portrait of, a, a racial, of racial animosity, racial divide. You would only have known that if you lived here in L.A. at the time, and it was palpable. It was everywhere. It was, it was you know, that, the Rodney King thing was, it turned the whole city upside down. and there, it, it united black and white, actually, everybody in, in, in that sense of injustice. It wasn't like... White, that that was I thought the the unfair part of the OJ trial was that they assumed that it meant that the white community was happy when the cops got off and they weren't. Mm -hmm. Everybody was upset about that. It, you know, then they didn't say that the riots were unjustified. Everybody felt that it, they were justified. Everybody was angry. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. The so but the OJ thing, you know, it it opened up a lot of a lot of the white community's eyes to the to the racial injustice in the within the cops. You know, within the um. Also beautifully depicted, by the way, in Straight Outta Compton, I have to admit that that movie brings mm -hmm. it up a lot as what it was like in L.A. and South Central, right. um, the, the kind of injustice and, and police brutality against black, um, young black men mainly. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it was a total L.A. thing, and, and you couldn't get away from it. You know? and the, so the O.J. thing, everybody was talking about that at the time, that it was payback for yeah. and Rodney King. Now, by the way, can you... Um... Uh, tell me what, if any instincts you have, or we can use this as a wrap up if you'd like. The um, I, I compiled a pretty good uh, assembly of all the significant films that we're going to be seeing this year. It's now 2016, Sasha. How does that feel to say? Horrible. It's no longer 2015. It's 2016. Mm -hmm. Four years until 2020. Uh. How many people do you know that say the that, you, that say the year the way I just did? Twenty something. <laughs> How many people still say? 2015, 2016. Yeah, I know. They do. How do you say it? I say 20... I say... You know, I don't say it a lot. I actually write it a lot. I don't say yeah. it out loud very much at mm. all. I can't even remember the last time I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when I write it, I hear it in my head as 2015. Yeah. I think it's starting. It's taken like 10, 12, 15 years for people to start to think about it, but I still hear 2000 a lot. 
But I think well, it's yeah, gradually. Well, yeah, because you couldn't years. say it when it was the aughts. You couldn't say two. Th- you couldn't say two, twenty. You, you couldn't say twenty oh five, twenty oh six. Oh yeah, you could do it like that. Twenty oh five, sure. Why not? Um, do you like, want to hear? Do you want to email you the runners up for the National Society, or do you want me to read them to you? They just sent them to me. Sure. What are the runners up? Just talk about them. So, best actor is Michael B. Jordan. Or um, yeah, Michael B. Jordan wins right. twenty nine points. Um, right. Giza Roig wins for Son of Saul, second, 18. And then Tom- oh, that's good. That's good. That would have been interesting if he had won. He was wonderful. You finally saw Son of Saul on screener, right? Didn't you? It's recently? so good. I wish I had seen it in Cannes. That has to be one of the best films of the year by far. It's so good. It's, I'm surprised it's not getting more attention from the critics. Such a mind blower and such knocks you out, you know? Oh, I mean, my I, God. It's so know. good. It's, it's just exceptional in every way. It's, I can't even believe he made it. I can't believe the whole movie is about what's happening in the background. Like mm. <laughs> I've never seen a movie do that before, ever. You know, just well, do- you mean not point out horrific things happening straight in front, but having it happen right on the edge of the frame and just yeah. kind of barely see it. Yeah, bodies flopping and you know blood and screaming off camera. I mean, that's just that is so revolutionary and and great. And I know it's a hard movie to watch. It's it's really emotionally difficult. I couldn't, <clears> but. There's a filmmaker who you probably know called Christian Mungu, a Romanian film, and he made a film about um, two women who are very close to each other and one who's kind of in love with a woman who's become a priest, uh, a nun, I mean. And there's a um, technique that he uses, which uh, to give credit where due, where very, um, very strong and powerful things that are, have just happened do not happen front and center. You'll just see them in the background. And you'll uh, go, whoa, whoa, look what's happening. Right, you know? right. I saw that movie, but I didn't remember yeah. that as being being the technique. There's two or three moments when he doesn't put it right front, but he, but it's happening and it's very strong. And, mm. But it's wonderful what what uh, what we see in Seven Saul. It's really quite oh. I, Can you see, I mean, we we are not the foreign film aficionados that we could be, but I just can't imagine anybody saying that this is, that anything else is more... Striking. Well, the National Society just did. They picked Timbuktu. In fact, yeah. not only did they pick Timbuktu, but Son of Saul isn't even in their top three. They went Timbuktu, Phoenix, and The Assassin. The Assassin, I don't get that at all. I <clears> just uh, It's a beautiful movie and everything, but I thought there was no there there. And I know <clears> that <throat> makes me sound stupid, but... Um, but so be it. People think I'm stupid anyway. It's not like I'm going to win them over by pretending <laughs> to like the, the assassin. Timbuktu so. is a very grim, uh, very well made, but it's so um, it, I, it's not stifling as much as it's usually uh, it nowhere to go except to contemplate terror and 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 dictatorship of of, of, of radical Islamic uh, <clears throat> beliefs being imposed upon people. It's a, it's a so it leaves you with nothing. Though I came away with knowing that I had seen a very well-made mm-hmm. film, and I respect the director immensely. Yeah. But it's it's really a it's really a rough sit in my view. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, okay, so best actress Charlotte yeah. Rampling with fifty-seven points, right. Saoirse Ronan with thirty, and Nina Haas with twenty-two. Okay. And Best Supporting Actor is Mark Rylance with 56, and mm-hmm. he's way ahead. There's the, the only closest second is Michael Shannon with 16, and Sylvester Stallone with 14. No Paul Dano, huh? Nope. Um, okay. Best Supporting Actress is Kristen Stewart, 53, mm-hmm. Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina with 23, Kate Winslet with 17, and Elizabeth Banks with 17, so she tied, huh. she tied for third. Isn't that the strongest uh, that she has registered, Elizabeth Banks, so far? She hasn't really done... I was. I wish they would have just given it to her. That would have been so nice. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to complain about Kristen Stewart. God, I, I think that's fine. She, you know, it's, it's a, a unique choice, and and they're going for it. And a lot of these, by the way, a lot of these voters are the same voters in the in the New York Film Critics. So, it's mm. not that surprising that their their choices are similar. Um, right. Spotlight wins screenplay by 21. Uh, Anomalisa gets second, and The Big Short gets third. Cinematography is Carol, The Assassin, and Mad Max. Uh, picture is Spotlight, Carol, and Mad Max. Um, director Todd Haynes, Tom McCarthy, George Miller. See, mm-hmm. that's how I think it's going to split those three, and I think Tom McCarthy's going to come out the winner. Or maybe Matt. I don't know. We'll see. Foreign mm-hmm. language film Timbuktu, Phoenix, and The Assassin. 
Uh, best documentaries, Amy in Jackson Heights and Seymour in Introduction. Ethan Hawke. Oh, <laughs> God, I just like that film, Seymour. So there you go. That's, that's the National Society of Film. I'm really glad that the film critic phase is over. I'm so sick mm-hmm. of the film critics. Wow. Oh, God, I can't wait for it to be the industry. And even that's going to be bad. But award seasons, I mean, this has been a great year for film. I'm very, very enthusiastic about it. I love, mm. you know, as Steve Carell says in The Big Short, I love my job. <laughs> like, Even when I hate it, I love it. <laughs> you hate your job. I love my job. <laughs> but um, no, remember that the, they say no. You hate your job. No, I love my job. Yeah. And that his point is that even when I hate it, or even though I say I hate it, I love it. Yeah, exactly. I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. <laughs> but I am glad that the film critic phase is over because they do annoy me more than any other group. <laughs> mm. Well, I won't. I won't ask us because we're, we've gone too long as usual. But I'll, I'll just say for next week, this is interesting to talk about. It. It's worth pondering the subject matter of the likeliest, from my limited point of view, best picture winner of 2016 to be awarded in 2017 are the following: David Gordon Green's Stronger, and that is. Um, David Gordon Green doesn't make Oscar films, as you know, so I don't think this is going to be a like, but it does have a strong subject matter. It's about a guy who lost his legs in the Boston Marathon bombing. It's mm. kind of a, re- a rebound thing. And it's Jake Gyllenhaal who's, you know, who's kicking it every time he, he has a good role, so it might, might work. <clears throat> um, there's a Ang Lee film called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. It has to do with the Iraq War and some guys who... Uh, were celebrated for some act of heroism during that. I don't know anything about it, but that's what it is. Then there's a <clears throat> kind of a dark domestic drama called Nocturnal Animals that Tom Ford has made, and that's also Jake Gyllenhaal and um, and Michael Shannon, and I forget the actress's name. There's um, the founder, uh, the biopic about uh, Ray Kroc, the, the guy who made McDonald's into the mega empire. Oh, God, gross. It sounds gross to you? Well, McDonald's is gross, so I hope it's oh, Of gross. course, yeah. yeah. But maybe there's irony in the whole thing. I hope. There's um, uh, a musical from Damon, Damien Chazelle, who did uh, the drumming movie, uh, you know, Whiplash, mm-hmm. uh, called La La Land. There's, um, um, there's a film called Money Monster that Jodie Foster has done. It's a hostage drama, political thriller. It's about a um, sort of an MSNBC or CNBC financial wizard who is... Uh, Kidnapped by an angry viewer who said he gave him the wrong tip. You know, kind of a metaphor for the collapse of the economy back in 08. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I, my, my general feeling is that it's kind of a weak year. It doesn't look like there's anything that really pops that, that strongly. And it's, so it's going to be uh, curious to see what emerges as the year. Nobody can tell anything, but it just doesn't look that strong. It's just there's nothing that has a big you know, label on it that says, you know, could be a, a big attention getter, could be. Well, uh, yeah, so. except for Hail Caesar, that's the only one. That's going to be wonderful, but it's one of their knucklehead comedies. Yeah, well, we'll yeah, that's true. Like Burn After Reading, you mean? Yeah, on that level. Oh, God, I, mean, I love Burn After Reading and The Big Lebowski. And, I mean, I'm, I'm so into them. I can't wait to see that movie. But I see what you're saying. There are no, like, sight unseen Oscar frontrunners. But, you know, you never really know what's coming until you get to tell your ride, honestly. Because that's when the, the big Oscar movies show up. Sure. You get an idea of what's coming. But right. um, but one thing to talk about that, that, you know, is interesting that I've been saying, because nobody reads my blog, I swear to God they don't, because they don't <laughs> know that I said this first, but mm-hmm. this has been a great year for studio movies, and, and Manola Dargis uh, finally wrote about that in the New York Times, and actually A.O. Scott and Manola Dargis are both talking about it, and how they were saying that the studios really got it right this year, and that they don't think Oscar's going to pay attention because they haven't been paying attention to what the studios are doing, but that they deserve credit for putting out such um, challenging and interesting movies and successful movies as they have. And I totally agree with that. So I don't know if next year is going to be like that or not. It doesn't sound like it because usually the big studio movies are the ones you hear about, you know, early. Yeah, right. um, Why do you think it, it just as a parting shot, uh, speaking of big studio movies and everything, <clears throat> I don't sense any real heat for uh, Johnny Depp at this point, maybe as a nomination, but for his um, Whitey Bulger yeah. Uh, in black mass, but otherwise I don't sense anything. Do you uh, uh, for that performance? All I know is that from Oscar, from what I know about Oscar history is you always, 
you know, it's a, always a good idea to go with the SAG nominees minus one. So one of those guys who got in for SAG isn't getting in for Oscar, most likely. It could be all five, but there's a really good chance that one of them is going to get dropped. So figuring out who, it's either going to be Eddie Redmayne or Johnny Depp, probably. Um, I think Brian Cranston's in, um, Leo's in, and uh, and then there's Fassbender, you know? Is he mm, going to get mm. in or not? I think he still gets in because he's such a big star and he's so likable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have to figure out who who's going to get in if one of them gets left out, and I think it would probably be Steve Carell from The Big Short if there's going to be one that gets in. Mm-hmm. So he he would he would bump somebody he would bump Eddie Redmayne or he would bump Johnny Depp. Right, right. Incidentally, I, I um, that Terrence Malick film that has been in um, limbo forever. It's called um, Night of Cups. It showed in Berlin almost exactly a year ago, last February, and it's going to open here domestically in March. Now this is significant in terms of the cast: Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, um, Natalie Portman. And, uh, you know, uh, Terrence Malick used to be a guy who you, you kind of definitely paid attention to and people kind of stop and, you know, kick it around. It was definitely a, a guy in the, in the quality film conversation, but he's become known for such eccentric behavior and such delayed release dates that this film, Night of Cups, which has opened in certain territories, Asia and I think France, um, is uh, streaming on pirate sites, which I, I know that I know I'll never look at a film on as a matter of principle. I'll never do it. But it's also being uh, put out on Blu-ray in Germany uh, less than two weeks hence. Mm. And, and I ordered it because, you know, it's legal to do it and I can watch it. So a movie that's not going to open in March, I can now watch on Blu-ray. And it's from one of our once very highly regarded great filmmakers. And uh, it's just a tragedy that a film like this it can't even get a decent theatrical release followed by the traditional follow-up on Blu-ray, you know, a couple months or three months later. It's not even getting that. It's getting preempted by pirate sites and by Blu-ray. Is it because of just, the pirate sites or is it because they don't think they're going to make a dime off it so they don't even want to bother releasing it? I think there's probably that enervated spirit element. I mean, it's been, it was pretty clear by the reviews that happened in Berlin that it's not anything that anybody's going to see. A rush out to see, even even, uh, you know, it's it, it's one of those kind of, you know, half dream state movies where you kind of you know it's spread all over the place and it's and it's kind of a patchwork or a or a montagey effect all through it. It's about uh, a guy who's you know kind of lost and disaffected and played by Christian Bale. So it's a little bit like To the Wonder, I guess. A little bit. Did you see To the Wonder? Mm, yeah. What do you well, think of that? It was okay, you know. I'm not a big Malick fan, I have to admit. I'd like really like Tree of Life and his old and anything before that, but um mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a little it's good, but I feel like he's uh, I don't know. I don't want to mm-hmm. say. It's not for me to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my final remark. It was very nice um speaking to you in a in a semi um healthy state. I'm it's glad it's a very terrifying thing to be seriously ill. Um, it's not anything that I've ever really confronted in my entire life. I've never felt that sick. Have you ever felt really down for the count? I, yeah, I have a couple of times. That time I got pneumonia, I was really, it was pretty bad. I remember I got really sick when I was pregnant and I, I thought I was going to stop breathing and I had to go to the ER. That was scary too. What month were you in when you got sick? I was like eight months. That must have been scary as hell. And why did you get that ill when you were that far along? I don't know. I have no idea. I'd never gotten it since. It was like a kind of an asthma thing where I couldn't stop coughing. And then my lungs closed up and I couldn't breathe. And I had to go to the ER and they put some kind of like steroid in my lungs to expand them so I could breathe. But yeah, I've been really sick a couple of times. It's always best to go to the doctor nowadays because the viruses and our resistance to them, our resistance to them is declining because there are antibiotics and everything. Right. And the viruses themselves are getting stronger. So, mm. yeah. Okay. Have, have a good Sunday. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to episode 119 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode. The bumper music was the 
Starman by David Bowie, and Love Train by The Ultimate OJ's two songs from the Martian soundtrack. Thanks for listening. Don't you know that it's time to get on board and let this train keep on